Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Joining us today to talk the incomprehensible reaction by public health over the continual decline in youth vaping rates is Dr. Chris Lalonde, University of Victoria professor of psychology and harm reduction advocate. Chris, thanks for joining us again on RegWatch. Thanks for having me again, Brent. When we last had you on in May, the uh, potential of a flavor ban in Canada was looming, but Health Canada had yet dropped the bomb. A couple of weeks later, they did. Uh, what are your thoughts on the flavor ban in Canada? <sighs> That's a big, tough question, but let's, let's go back, back in time to the beginning when Health Canada has been sort of fumbling about on this file for the longest, most confusing time. And when they started, they said their goal was to strike a balance, right? We want to strike a balance between adult use of e-cigarettes to stop smoking and youth access. And, you know, me and a lot of other people thought, oh, that sounds reasonable to me. I, I'm not at all clear how you're going to do that. But okay, sure, that's what we should do. So I don't know, maybe, how about this? How about we make uh, it illegal for youth to buy e-cigarettes? Would, you know, maybe that would solve the problem because, you know, it's worked so well for alcohol and drugs and unprotected. You tell youth not to do something, by golly, they're not going to do it, right? Okay, so no, that's not going to work. So then all of a sudden that somehow morphs into what we really need to do is not only take away all flavors and all high nicotine strengths from adult smokers who need that, want that to quit smoking. We need to take that all away from them because there's this epidemic of youth vaping. Okay, well, that would be fine if you could show that there really was an epidemic. And it turns out, no, there wasn't. There never was. And if there was, it's over. It was a kind of fidget spinner moment. It was a fad and it's done, it's gone. Youth smoking rates are so low, they're almost unmeasurable. So this is not a problem that I think needs to be solved. And it certainly doesn't need to be solved by restricting the ability of adults to access something that will improve their health, immeasurably improve their health. That just makes no sense to me at all. But wait, <laughs> it gets worse. Um, not only do they want to eliminate flavors, they only want to leave tobacco and menthol, which just makes absolutely no sense to me. Why would you leave tobacco and menthol? Those are cigarette flavors, right? Are, are you trying to train children, kids to use cigarettes and have them switch from vape? It makes no sense to me. Worse than that is that you're, you're going to reformulate all of the flavors that are, you're going to eliminate a whole bunch of flavors and the ones that are left, you're going to reformulate precisely because people find them attractive. Okay, so it's not as though Health Canada said, we have identified a list of dangerous chemicals that are being used in e-liquid and we want to remove those. No. They said, we have identified a list of ingredients that actually make these things palatable for adults, maybe for youth too, but certainly for adults. So we got to get rid of those. Okay, so 
so they have a, a thing in the, the latest document about, remind me now, Brent, what did they call it? Um, flavor, no. Oh, sensory perception? Yes, that's it. That's They're going to okay, regulate so, sensory perceptions. Yes. Okay, so um, I'm thinking there's a boardroom in Ottawa at Health Canada somewhere where they've gathered up a group of people and said, you are going to become the sommeliers of e-liquid flavors in Canada. You're going to puff on this. And if it tastes good, well, you can't have that, right? Get rid of that one. Moving on to the next one. So it's not as though there's any even pretense of, well, this is a dangerous ingredient. We got to get rid of it. It's, oh my God, people might like this. We got to get rid of it, right? Can you think of a more wrong-headed approach to public health? I can't. I've tried, and I just can't. It just seems. So how we got here, Brent, is deeply confusing to me. So they started with, okay, we want adults to use e-cigarettes to stop smoking, right? Our goal is to eliminate the mortality, death, and disease from smoking-related stuff. Um, but we don't want youth to start. Okay, but seems reasonable. Now think of a way that you could mess that up I, in a way that Health Canada has done. I can't. There's no better way to mess it up than what they've done. Let's get rid of high nicotine so that adult smokers, long-term heavy smokers are going to decide this isn't enough nicotine for me. I tried the e-cigarette thing. It didn't work. I'm back on the stinkies. Um, it, that's just dumb, right? Um, get rid of flavors, it, like, uh, anyway. <laughs> well, no, and the point you're making, I, th I think one is one that obviously many critics of government make and certainly of progressive governments is that they continually move the goalposts. And, and that ultimately is the case. If this was about uh, yeah. teen vaping numbers, we are seeing a dramatic decrease. Now, that yeah. decrease in Canada has definitely there, and we'll get into that a little bit in, in a moment. Unfortunately, though, Canada is not so transparent. At least in the U.S., we seem to have you know proper yearly stats, year over year at the same time. We're able to compare those stats, um, even though the pandemic uh, was an issue. But we have a big drop in U.S. team vaping, seeing, you know, not just because of COVID, we know that the, the public health is trying to say that this might be a COVID yeah. thing. Look, the teen vaping rates have been dropping ever since the so-called epidemic of teen vaping. That's right, way before, way before COVID. Yeah, way before COVID. And here in Canada too as well. And I'll call something up in a second. Let me just throw this at you. I mean, it just seems to me that on one hand, they say you have to follow the stats. They're so bad, they're alarming, yeah. they're worrisome. Yeah. We have to take all these draconian, tyrannical measures uh, to reverse legislation that they had enacted. The, the federal government had just passed and legalized nicotine vaping in Canada. Within three months, they start to begin to reacting to, uh, in 2018, reacting to the so-called epidemic of teen vaping. In that same fall, it was so alarming to the University of Waterloo professor, Dr. David Hammond, that he leaked selectively the results of his research to Health Canada and the media that ginned up a huge massive hysteria in Canada and then launched this regulatory process that we're in right now that's going to see the demise of vaping. So 
I mean, what to believe? Because if you believe the stats, we believe them then. Now the stats are showing that teen vaping is declining, but Health Canada is just like this. Yeah, and that is really, really worrisome to me. We've, we, You and I have been through this before, Brent, and we talked about the ethical dilemma of should you, RegWatch, have released the Hammond paper, right? Um, and I say yes. If 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 Hammond or any government agency is going to use unpublished material to frame public policy, the public needs to know that, right? We need to know the numbers. So let's go way back to the beginning there and say, oh my God, there was a, an alarming increase in vaping and smoking. And it turns out that just wasn't true. And you and I went through this trying to find the numbers later after that thing was actually published that show, no, there's no giant increase in vaping or smoking among youth. That was just somehow an artifact of the methodology. Okay, fine. So there's a moment where you could pause if you're Health Canada or any kind of regulator and say, okay, we need to back up here because we thought there was this epidemic and it turns out, wait a minute, oops, no, there is no epidemic. And we thought smoking went up. Nope, it's gone down again, like it has forever in Canada and everywhere else. So maybe we should rethink at this point, right? But, and this is what confuses me the most is, no, they didn't pause at that point and say, let's reconsider, let's rethink, let's look at the science, however you want to put it, they just went with the kind of epidemic narrative, nicotine, brain health, blur, 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 um, and just marched forward. And what is most puzzling to me is no one tried to stop them. No one in Health Canada tried to stop them. No one in the federal government tried to stop them. Vapors did, right? Everyone started shouting and screaming, and we all um, made our um, submissions to the Health Canada request for consultation. Uh, the question is, what's Health Canada going to do with that information? Okay, so that just happened early September. We know from the past that they have chucked out oh, 23,000 or something um, responses from vapors because they somehow imagined, I don't know, that we're all brain dead from vaping nicotine or something. Um, but in a completely non-transparent undemocratic fashion they just hucked those out and then focused on the ones the responses um, typically from what we call the body part organizations that are anti-vaping and anti-harm reduction i don't know I, I... yeah well i mean clearly and we've i mean obviously we've gone through a lot of this uh over the last two years but you know, those organizations, the body part works, so to speak. I mean, they really went to town in the fall of 2018, saying basically to Health Canada that you made a mistake in your support yeah. for legalizing yeah. nicotine vaping products and you're putting Canadian youth at risk. These are very, very strong things to say. And I'm, I'm going to, I think it's important that we spend a little bit more time uh, talking about Professor Hammond and that Waterloo paper because. We just had Clive Bates on um, a week or two ago, 
And he made it very clear that when he looks at what happened, what's going on in Canada and where we're at with all of these bands, then he really pegs that back to that paper. And yeah. upon looking at that, I mean, it, it's, it's very interesting. This is the CBC's coverage. Again, you know, he selectively leaked uh, these results, which were extremely alarming. I mean, basically... Yeah. The road to ruin begins <clears throat> in September 2018 with then FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, who declared youth vaping an epidemic, posing yeah. a clear and present danger to the nation's youth. Gottlieb yeah. ordered vaping product manufacturers to reverse the trend or risk having their flavored vaping products pulled from the market. Well, you know, this that trend has been reversed both in the U.S. and Canada, but yet the threat to vaping is only heightened. And let me just say that over... Over the hysteria took hold in fall of 2018, University of Waterloo professor David Hammond rushed to complete the statistical analysis for a cross-sectional survey examining the prevalence of vaping and smoking among adolescents in Canada, England, and the United States. Professor Hammond is Canada's preeminent tobacco control researcher, and as lead author on the study, he made the decision to selectively leak preliminary results to Health Canada in a closed-door meeting that November. Because, as he told the CBC, results were troubling and all signs are very worrisome. According to the CBC report, Hammond's research pointed to a substantial and dramatic increase in youth vaping in Canada, similar to the 80% increase found in the U.S. And most alarmingly, that teen smoking had increased for the first time in 30 years, a shocking claim which rightly raised alarm throughout the country. However, Hammond's research at the time was not yet peer-reviewed, and would not be released to the public for another eight months, yet it served to justify the calls for Health Canada to crack open recently enacted vaping legislation before the ink was dry. So that's, yeah. just, in the, that's just the last couple of months of 2018. And, and yeah. it, literally, it drove the bus and is still likely driving the bus. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, I just want to remind viewers that where did this word epidemic come from okay it came from um, focus group testing with youth from the C uh, fda and cdc they had these focus groups and they decided that youth respond to the they're, they're frightened by the notion of epidemic and so that's how forever forward we shall describe this okay so now imagine that somehow gets out into the public consciousness and um dr hammond comes up with these numbers that make no sense i mean they make they made no sense in 2018 they make no sense now and you know they've since been corrected but the paper is still the same online brent we went through this before the hunting and searching um it's still the same it's it, it uh, um, so it's out there. And so it's, uh, if you want to upset parents, you tell them about an epidemic that threatens your children, right? That'll, that'll just work. And it does. And it continues to work in really kind of frightening ways. Um, we don't need to do that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing that. If, you know, if you want to believe Joe Biden that we should be led by the science and you want to believe anybody in Ottawa who claims that, well, okay, how about look at the science? Wouldn't that be kind of a good thing to do? And 
look at it in a kind of unbiased way, um, but there's frighteningly little evidence of that in Washington or Ottawa. Long before COVID, long before other issues, we've heard politicians, you know, always tell us you know, to follow the science and right. they never seem to follow the science with vaping. There's this, <laughs> this huge yeah. conundrum that yeah, we're sure. in, which they're like, all of your experience is anecdotal and it's yep. not scientific. And we only yep. follow the scientific, you know, control studies and, and statistical numbers yeah. that we get out of yeah. approved research. But yet they, well, I mean, they jump to an anecdotal all the time. Sure. Or um, they do what the FDA does, which says, okay, you got to submit this, what are they called? PMTA applications by September, whatever. Um, then we just deny a million of them. And then we issue retroactively guidance about how to do this. Okay. That's the most Kafkaesque thing I can even think of to say, you must meet this standard, but we won't tell you what the standard is till after you spend a million dollars and try to meet this. And then we'll tell you why you failed. Okay. It's just simply ridiculous. It's, and the same thing is going to happen with Health Canada's sommelier panel who are going to be testing flavors and deciding that, no, we're not going to outlaw this because it's somehow dangerous to human health. We're going to outlaw it because people might like it. Okay. Well, I'll have to tell you, um, you know, very famous uh, writer, Alexis de Tocqueville, back in 1830, describes how when uh, a government is centralized, which we are in a centralized bureaucracy, it seeks to regulate pleasure. It's very, yeah. very interesting. And, and boy, is that not really kind of what the case is here, that nicotine doesn't seem to be an approved pleasure uh, by the powers that be, but yeah, cannabis is. And so one gets, you know, the tyrannical boot, the other one gets, you know, shoved yeah. into shoved into every retail location you possibly um, can sell it. Who, some, I mean, I, I love the Dutoko quote, but someone said something about um, being terrified that somewhere someone is having some fun. Right. Right. I can't remember who I'll look it up, Brent, and I'll email you, but um, there is a bit of that. So um, in the whole nicotine vaping thing, um, there's just the assumption of harms related to nicotine that just toss that out there, you know, youth harms, nicotine, burp, um, but no one ever actually demonstrates that, right? So the famous one is um, nicotine harms the development of adolescent brains. Okay, we've heard that for a long time. And if you look into that, there are two problems with that. One, it's only in adolescent rats who I keep saying adolescent rats should not vape. Okay, they shouldn't smoke, they shouldn't vape, they shouldn't do a lot of things. Um, the other is you have a great kind of natural experiment where, you know, 40 years ago, 30, 40% of people started smoking as adolescents. And it's not at all clear that they ended up brain damaged adults, right? So there's just kind of evidence right there that there's something wrong with this theory. But that doesn't matter, right? Because you say, 
nicotine harms brain development think of the children trademark oh my god um and people just kind of eat that up and politicians who are um practiced in the art of sound bites um are going to gobble that up even faster right because you say the word epidemic adolescent brain development damage harm addiction gateway right those things don't need to be justified they just need to be shouted into a microphone um and that that would be fine if if it was just the kind of lunacy of the usual nature of politics but if you're making public policy that's going to affect the health of Canadians or anyone else, um, you should back up, you should pause, you should reflect, you should think, are we really following the science here? Or are we following the kind of narrative and the propaganda of, and it doesn't even matter who it is, right? Um, just stop and think. And we don't do that enough here, or anywhere, I suppose. But you know, it seems to be definitely be a problem in North America, no doubt. You mentioned smoking, teen smoking, and we're using basically Dr. Hammond here as an, as the knit for this show. But because his research uh, and what happened with that research uh, that he leaked and then came out in the June in June of 2019 has had such a dramatic impact, and you'd mentioned that. The smoking claim in there was retracted. Let's just focus on that for a second. Uh, One of the most alarming claims of this research yeah. was the fact that there was a massive increase for the first time in teen smoking in Canada. And then a yeah. year later, so this is, this is not 2019, yeah. this is in 2020. A year later, July 2020, and it comes out that that was incorrect. What, what is that all about? Um, so we talked about this before, and um, I don't want to rehash all of the details of this, but um, he said he hoped his findings were just a blip, okay? And they were a blip, but it was a blip that was used to influence health policy in Canada in ways that are just completely unethical in my mind. So, um, you know, there's lots of problems with statistical studies because you're depending on a sample size and you're imagining that these people that actually answered my questions are somehow completely representative of like all Canadians or all Canadians of the same age. Um, and it turns out that's almost never the case, especially if you're doing a cross-sectional study where you just... It's a, it's a snapshot in time. This is what people told me in June of, or March of 2018, whatever. Um, so at the time, Hammond didn't have, and his co-authors didn't have proper weighting techniques. Um, they later got that. They got that really quickly after they published the study, um, but they didn't I don't know, publicize it. They didn't correct it and say, oops, never mind. We made a mistake. Instead of going up by whatever percent, it actually went down by some other percent. Um, and if what you're trying to do is increase fear and concern in the public, then an increase works and a decrease doesn't. Okay, so if you 
report an increase, you shout fire in the theater and then you say, oops, never mind. It was just a flashlight. Um, but that would be okay. As long as everybody knows after you shouted fire, you shout flashlight. Okay. Now you and I went through this, Brent, the torturous route of trying to find the actual correction. Oh dear um, God. It was brutal. I, I know. And I would, I would urge your viewers to go back and look at our old segment of both of us with furrowed brows trying to figure out what are we looking at where are we supposed to go i have to be um, honest chris i tried to redo those steps yesterday and got <laughs> yeah. and totally found that i could not get to the correction yeah yeah the the, the word i think you're looking for is flummoxed <laughs> like just like if you wanted to find it you'd have to be super motivated to do so and and it shouldn't be that way right it should not be that way if these data are being used to frame public policy, health policy in Canada or anywhere else. It just, that's just a wrong approach to following the science, right? For sure. And let's, you know, I think it's really important to bring up, I'm just calling it up here right now, is that the whole issue in terms of teen and smoking and relating that to vaping, I mean, it's explosive because, you know, for the longest time and still today, it's this whole gateway issue in terms of yeah. we, we can't let the teen vape because that's going to lead to smoking. One begets the other. And even if you're a youth or something, Health Canada is conflating vaping to smoking all the time. And they've done that in the flavor ban. With the flavor ban, they put out a cost-benefit analysis. It's their regulatory impact analysis. And they basically make the conclusion that there is mortality associated with vaping. So there are certain numbers of people who vape who will die. But they don't die from vaping. They die because vaping leads to smoking. So if you start vaping, you're going to end a certain percentage will start smoking. And then out of those people, they'll have, uh, you know, all of the, you know, detrimental disease and death that's associated with smoking. So it's totally yeah. spurious. I mean, to well, do this. I mean, Brent, we, we could go down another rabbit hole of trying to figure out. So they estimate a 20% mortality rate, right? In the Health Canada document. Try to find out where that 20% estimate came from and you will just hit a brick wall, right? Five experts, blah, 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 and then you contact the experts and they say, well, no, that's actually not what we said, or I don't recall, or like, it's just the most indefensible estimate of mortality that you could even imagine. To then use that, let's just make up 20%, and then we multiply it out over the years and count up how many Canadians die, and say what a good thing we've done by getting rid of vaping in Canada um, is just completely indefensible, utterly indefensible. Um, and I, I hesitate to bring up not September 2018, but September 2019 and the whole Evali business, right? And we could spend another hour on that, but the only reason for me to bring it up is that it has become very clear to me that the Valley crisis was not about public health. It, it was about stopping vaping. It, 
like it, I just, I can't think of another way to describe it, right? They mischaracterized the use of THC products laced with vitamin E acetate that actually produced serious lung injuries and deaths among young people in the United States in a, in a sort of tight regional area. And they just ran with that. It's like epidemic. It's like, you know, adolescent brain development. Um, it's not the right way to do public health. It just isn't. Well, unless you're in communist Russia. <laughs> well, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'm just, but it, it's just, look, let, let, I'm not trying to be glib here, but we've got plenty of examples of public health being the source of some pretty, pretty bad stuff over the last 150 years. Sure. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, David Sweener is a wonderful um, historian on this about resistance to refrigeration or moving to cities, because if you move to cities, immoral bad things happen there and you shouldn't have refrigeration because that stops you from eating fresh, healthy foods. And, you know, forget about the fact that, you know, eating rotten food causes stomach cancer and stuff. So, I mean, David is, is wonderful at um, sort of listing out all those things about why people are um, opposing innovations in public health in ways that, you know, when you look back on them, think that's completely counterintuitive. Mm. Why would you oppose that? Let's rewind, uh, Chris, to this. I just want to make sure we spend a little bit more time on this issue with regard to the mortality um, assumption, the statistics around this 20% right. and so forth. Um, for one, you know, this word, this title of this episode is buried by stats. Well, it's buried logic, but it's really buried by stats. It's the weight of statistics burying us. And even when the stats start to turn in your favor, they, they still bury you because they just ignore yeah. the, the current stats and look to the other ones. But this issue of mortality, this is like generated by third party private so-called consultants, experts in a report that's right. not public, that was paid for by the government, I assume, or yep. but we don't know that it could be paid yep. for by the Canadian Cancer Society, for all we know, because <laughs> the government certainly, you know, wouldn't be beyond Health Canada to use a study paid for by a lobby group um, in this manner. I'm not saying that that's the case, because I don't know. I don't know who these people are. All I know is that the asterisks in the Gazette says to contact the government and they'll help facilitate yeah. you getting access yeah. to the report. Do you, do you have access to the report? We haven't been no, able to get it. And, and they, and they, they won't, or at least they haven't yet. And uh, I don't know whether you need a freedom of information request. Other people have tried and other people have actually figured out who those five people are and contacted them. And they seem befuddled and confused about, I don't, I don't know. We didn't, we never said 20%, but I could be wrong. I don't want to. Um... Well, no, that's what I've, Chris, that's what I, we've heard. I've heard and others that we've talked to about this. So it seems yeah. that like the most explosive, the most damning uh, uh, aspect that's justifying this report um, yeah. or the this ban is uh, is inaccessible to the Canadian voter. Sure. But let's let's imagine we could put that aside for a moment. OK, we'll just put it aside. And Health Canada's own estimates are that some people who are currently vaping are going to go back to smoking. Okay, so let's count up the bodies 
of those people, right? Um, that's a really, really bad thing. The other thing is they know that if they get rid of flavors, people are going to start mixing their own flavors. DIY is going to become the new thing. Okay. And so everyone in the kind of tobacco harm community is saying, this is like the worst thing you could imagine because what people are going to find out is, okay, all you got to do is you take some vegetable glycerin and like, and then you just mix some food flavors in there and uh, poof, you've got a flavor that you like and you can vape and everything is good. The problem is people are going to get that wrong, right? They're going to, they're going to start mixing oil-based stuff and we're going to have another valley situation. People are going to be mixing things that you should not be putting into your lungs. Why? Because they don't know. They just, you know, I found a recipe on the internet, so I mixed it up in my bathtub and, uh, you know, here I go. So let's count the bodies on that side of the equation. And let's maybe pause and think, would it be better if we just figured out a way to regulate this? If we just figured out a way to understand what's in the juice, what's in the tanks, what's in the coils, what's in the, right? That would be a whole lot better. And it would be a whole lot easier than enforcing. Okay, think about the war on drugs, right? They employ thousands and thousands of people to go storm trooping around the country to stamp out the use of drugs. And all that does is drive everything underground. And so you get black markets that black markets don't care if they sell to teens or adults, or if they sell them THC with vitamin E acetate or not, right? All they care about is a customer. I got a customer. Here you go, kid. Give me your money. Thank you very much. Um, not not the way to to run a country yes that is true that is not the way to run a country um i'm very upset with with public health in canada they want us to believe everything they're saying with regard to covid but yet a huge majority of people that you know are on the vaping side of things well over a million people we know damn well that we can't believe everything that's coming out of public health. So on some issues, we're supposed to believe public health and other issues, yeah. we're not, because we clearly know that they're lying. And here's a, here's an example. You were just mentioning in terms of, you know, the regulation. In some manner, uh, I think that what's happened in Canada has been the Bloomberg influence. Now, the Bloomberg influence um, on a global scale from World Health Organization and so forth especially with the low to middle income countries as they're basically going into these countries and saying, you're not sophisticated enough yeah. to be able to regulate this product. So thus you must ban it in a way that, yeah. I mean, if Canada, if they haven't made that argument in Canada, it's certainly the way that health Canada is reacting. You know, we can't manage uh, this with our adults, even though we legalized it, even though we've got a vibrant yeah. industry, even though the industry is totally reacted to the issue of teen vaping and has accepted a bunch of regulatory measures in which in order to decrease that, but we're not going to leave, let that have a chance. We're not even going to let those measures have impact. We're just going to ban it. It feels like a Bloomberg 
influence. And because certainly, of course, the public health uh, nonprofit groups in Canada have been making that claim to Health Canada. You messed up. You have put Canadian kids at risk. You know, you have to do something. Let's just take a look here at Bloomberg just on September 29th. So last week, the CDC comes out, FDA comes out, 40% drop in teen vaping in the United States, 40%. On the exact same day, Bloomberg comes out with an editorial, Bloomberg Opinion, penned by Michael Bloomberg himself. The FDA is late in banning e-cigarettes that tempt kids. Teen vaping has reached epidemic proportions. That I mean, that is that is treacherous. On the exact day that the health organizations, agencies in the United States are saying teen vaping has dropped by 40%, Bloomberg is saying teen vaping has reached epidemic proportions as if it's ascended. Yeah. That is treacherous. So, yeah, I mean, we could spend another half hour on... Bloomberg as a colonial power unto himself, but we won't do that. The other thing that concerns me is, okay, look, the data just came out from the US that, you know, vaping rates have plummeted. And what's the response of the anti-tobacco harm reduction groups like Bloomberg and Tobacco Free Kids is not to say, hooray, what a great thing this is. It's to say, okay, Um, they're all using puff bars, they're all using disposables, or um, this was all just due to COVID. Um, As though if somehow you lock the kids down, they can't get their jewels or puff bars or whatever and puff them. Um, But every parent knows, can see through that lie, right? You can't keep the kids down on the farm if they want to go out and get their whatever it is their weed their e-juice you know their jewels whatever um so it went down not because people were locked up i think it's because look the fat is over it's done it's fading let it go and stop trying to regulate adult behavior because of hypothetical children who might maybe do something at some point in the future. That just, it it makes no sense to me, right? And you can take Bloomberg money and throw it behind that. And you can, as we've seen, you know, corrupt public health um, agencies in other parts of the world that are perhaps more amenable to Anyway, I, I, I won't go there. But well, no, I, and it's frustrating. The main, the, it's, it's totally frustrating. But the main point is every time the public loses faith in public health, that's a crisis moment, right? If, if you discover, wait, I can't believe Health Canada when they tell me that, you know, nicotine is going to rot my teen's brain, right? It turns out, nope, that's not true. Well, then what else can I believe from Health Canada? If my doctor thinks that nicotine causes cancer, what else can I believe from him, right? And if no one's motivated to change those beliefs in any way, um, what's the public supposed to do? So, you know, you end up with this kind of vaccine hesitancy. It doesn't matter. You can list a whole whack of things, but they all result from the fact that Um, we've lost trust 
Okay. And if you lose trust in public health or medical providers, that's a really, really dangerous thing. Well, look, totally. And let me just bring this back to the fact that on the exact day that the CDC and FDA come out and say that there's a 40% decline in youth vaping rates, this is last week, right? Bloomberg is out there under the banner of Bloomberg opinion. He pens it himself. First thing says that there is a, there is a teen epidemic. That to me is propaganda. There's just so clearly propaganda. Yeah. And, and we should find ways, if there are ways, I just don't think these people have any shame, so it's impossible to really probably shame them. <laughs> but I mean, Canadian Cancer Society, you know, Physicians for a Smoke-Free Canada, Health Canada, all of them, they should be shamed uh, by this because the leader in global anti-vaping is a propagandist. Sure, sure. Um, and and you can try to kind of, in your mind, separate Bloomberg from kind of more recognized public health agencies. Okay, so what you should be asking is, um, you know, what's Health Canada doing? What's the FDA doing to say, wait, just a rock pick and minute. You can't look at a 40% decrease in youth vaping and claim there's an epidemic and a panic should be ensuing immediately, right? Um, So Bloomberg, at least in, you know, the Western world is not making policy. He's influencing policy, right? Um, But there should be more public condemnation, I think, of of just, and it's not just Bloomberg, right? It's like, um, there's lots of media outlets that, um, reported the same kind of story that despite the fact that it went down 40%, we should still be alarmed. Okay. So, uh, okay. Why? Why? Well, cause, uh, I don't know, adolescent brain development and addiction and like, it's just nonsense. It's clickbait. And it, I mean, like everybody else who uses social media, it will, if you let it, it will make you crazy. Hmm. Um, so let's don't. so let's let's bring this back again uh, to theme to Professor David Hammond, University of Waterloo, because I'm going to give him yeah. some props here, sure. and the props sure. are is that in March of 2021, so this year in March, now this is a couple of months uh, before Health Canada drops its flavor ban, the proposed flavor ban, right? So several months before that. The exalted, you know, Dr. David Hammond quoted in a Toronto Star piece, which is designed to talk about how youth vaping rates are leveled off. And that's a polite way to say they're falling in Canada. Right. And Dr. David Hammond is quoted as saying in here. Okay, well, you know, it's funny that his language is a little more measured when it comes to this direction. But University of Waterloo professor David Hammond said the numbers indicate that the surge in youth vaping in recent years could be tapering off because of stricter regulations, rising awareness of the health risks, and lifestyle changes related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, it looks like we may have reached the peak of youth vaping, Hammond said. I would expect that vaping will continue to decline among young people. And if that happens in parallel with the continued reduction in smoking, then that's very good news for everybody. So I agree with Dr. David Hammond here. So how come we need to ban flavors? Uh, well, that's the 
$50 billion question, right, Brent? Um, if it's going to, if, if youth smoking has almost disappeared and if youth vaping is falling so fast, we should maybe stop keeping track of it, then what's, what's the rut? What are we, what are we doing, right? Is it important to, you know, um, put a 20% tax on batteries that you buy for e-cigarettes? Because, wait, wait what, why? Because what, are they a tobacco product? What? Okay, fine, I'm all for, you know, using our taxes to do important things. So what important things are we doing, for instance, in British Columbia, where you and I live, with the 20% tax on vaping stuff? Is it going into educational programs that you or I might disagree with? But nope. Where is it going, Brent? Come on, say it. General coffers. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so if you imagine that just making it a little bit more expensive is going to stop young people from using vaping products, but not adults from using vaping products, and particularly not uh, low-income vulnerable adults, right? The ones who need their money more than other people, then you're just fooling yourself. You're just, and if you put it into general revenue, then I don't see the point. It just becomes another syntax that reveals your kind of moral view of the world as a government, rather than your deep concern about human welfare. Let me ask you here, uh, just one last question with regards to Health Canada's approach here on the stats. And let's just take a quick look here. I've got a pullout uh, from the Gazette One on the proposed flavor ban. You know, the outright state, right up at the very top, the rationale is there has been a rapid increase in youth vaping yeah. in Canada. Well, that's this is this is 2021, June 2021. And they're yeah. saying there's this is this sounds to me like a Bloomberg tactic, right? There has been a rapid increase in youth vaping in Canada. Well, there hasn't been. There was an increase, but for the last two years, it's been going down. And then, and then they, you know, they they count the stats from 2018 to 2019. Yeah. It, it's like it's it's totally. I wish that I could use the kind of language that I would really like to use, but I mean this. I mean treachery is the is the calmest language I can use, but health Canada is using 2018 and 2019 stats, ignoring yep. 2019 and 20, ignoring yep. 2020 and 21, saying that there has been a rapid increase in youth vaping when it's been going down for two years. What the hell yep. is going on? Well, I, I was shaking my finger at you, Brent, to prevent you from using stronger language about that. But, um, I may be exhausting my finger waving because <laughs> um, look, these people uh, knew, right? They have the data. They have the data way before we, the public ever see it. So they knew, look, smoking is dropping. Vaping is dropping to claim that you need to do something because there's a sudden rapid alarming increase um, is let me just say disingenuous um so and also the way that they use numbers and i when i say they i mean lots of people not just health canada bloomberg tobacco free kids all those people is um 
they tend to use past 30 day use, right? So have you had a puff, a single puff on an e-cigarette in the last 30 days, right? Which is just the dumbest measure of use that you could imagine because it's predictive of nothing, right? It's not diagnostic. It's not predictive of anything. You could have had one puff a couple of Saturdays ago at Bernie's party in the basement, or you could be puffing on your jewel 55 times a day but they don't make a distinction between those two things. So which problem are you trying to solve? Are you trying to solve having a puff at Bernie's party on a Saturday once a month or somebody puffing 5 million times on their jewel? It, it just, it makes no sense. And if they were doing this on the basis of what they really believed was the most current, most accurate data I'm willing to cut them some slack. It's just like the Hammond thing, right? When he originally published that, he didn't have the proper weightings to be able to correct the misperception. Quickly found them, uh, didn't, didn't do it. It's the same thing with Health Canada. Look, you people have the numbers, right? They're all there in a spreadsheet in front of you in your downtown Ottawa bunker. Um, and you should use that uh, in a way that best supports the health of Canadians. If you don't, if you go back to old data to continue a narrative of epidemic and fear and alarm, then uh, I'm deeply worried. And I'm deeply worried, not just about tobacco harm reduction. I'm deeply worried about the lack of trust in public health and the government. And that to me is worse. It's almost like the mantra should be keeping Canadians safe by lying to them. That's right. If we just if we just scare you enough, you'll stay safe, right? Well, uh, Chris, look, I mean, it's obviously this is a tragic events that are happening, and hopefully, we can have you back on with some good news finally. So let's just you know kind of wish for that. Yeah. But yeah. for now, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show. All right. Well, thanks, Brent. It's always great talking to you and uh, I hope to talk to you again.